can I say won't give it up? Mark Zubia, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Took a minute, but we got it. Yes. I have a lot of questions, uh, but first, I I moved here uh, 20 years ago okay. and had heard of you. Okay. And and some of the different projects that, that you were in, and and then do you remember uh, the the little joint? Uh, what was it called uh, in in Scottsdale that that I booked for like a hot second, and I went in. I, I, I fucking forget the name of the place. Uh, side side bar. Or? Oh, side door. Side door. Yeah. So I said, you know, I'm happy to help book this. And if you had anyone specific that you would like me to book, and they said, well, we definitely want Mark Zubia. Oh, nice. And so I reached out, and, and we've quote unquote worked t- together for you know, uh, not creatively, but but um, did you grow up here? First of all, I did grow up here. Yeah. Yeah. And a big family. Uh, seven of us total. That's you a, know, that's a good size crew. Three, uh, three boys, two girls, and my mom and dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, musical family. Yeah, absolutely. Mom and dad played. Uh, dad played. Uh, he's a mariachi musician, so that's what we pl- started playing uh-huh. uh, as soon as we picked up the guitars. And it was guitars first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely guitars. What? Um, what, they were professional professional musicians then. Yeah, so you, I mean, he he had his day job, but on at nights and weekends he would be playing for yeah for money, like professional pri- private events or private events, church events, you know, anything, parties, you know, uh, weddings, quinceañeras, yeah, um, you know, all of it. Was there was there a lot of music in the home being like played? In, in other words, so maybe not mariachi music, but other records that were kind of big. Oh, oh yeah, for you, you know, so. My dad was uh, into, you know, the 50s hits, um, but also the 70s outlaw country. Mm. And then my oldest brother was, you know, um, listening to uh, Beatles and Elton John and Rolling Stones and all Billy Joel. And so Mm. it was it was like that. It was from the 50s to. Whatever was contemporary, contemporary in, right. in the seventies, and that's I, I find that fascinating because you can't with with a big family, these generational kind of differences really bring in a lot of different music, yeah. right? So ne- not necessarily the music just from your folks, but you know what your brothers are into, what your sisters are into, right? And that can expose you to this incredible collection. Uh, of music, yeah, and it, and it was essentially because it was from the you know started. My dad was in in high school in the fifties. It, it basically started from when rock and roll was born, right? You know, so it really got in on the ground floor of that kind of you know. I call it singer songwriter, but but you know songs and rock and roll and and then leading up to you know yeah Queen, right, right. Do you remember any of those early 50s artists? Oh, you know, it's the typical ones, you know, okay. uh, Big Bopper, uh, mm-hmm. Elvis Presley. Sure. Um, uh, now that's all I can remember right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, sure. But yeah, you yeah. know, so. Do you have, uh, do you remember your first like concert experience? Like going to see a show? Yeah, it was, it wasn't until I was 15. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was John Lee Hooker. Wow. Yeah, it was in a club, and uh, it was in downtown Tempe, and my brother lived around upstairs from the club, my brother Lawrence. Yeah. And so uh, we went, and 
they really weren't checking IDs because I was 15 and I didn't look 15. I looked 13. But that was the show. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Mm. I, you know, as a non-native growing up on the East Coast, hearing about the early 90s mm-hmm. and 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 so I'm always fascinated people who lived through that moment and you not only lived through that moment but were performing as well. Right. Can you share any of those like early scene stories i mean what did it look and feel like and and there must have been this crazy buzz because you had you know these bands that are breaking out from this tiny little town in arizona yeah um so my brother lawrence and i started writing songs when we were teenagers so um we knew what we wanted to do Mm -hmm. and we knew that there was a thing called a record deal and we, you know, we got hip to that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so we spent a lot of time writing songs, you know, and working on that craft. And so once we got into our, I was 19, he was three years older than me. So um, then we started getting involved in the local scene um, and seeing people we knew, uh, getting record deals Mm. so we were like okay this is this is possible Mm -hmm. it's 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 probable right you know and we just kind of followed their lead which was to um write as you know just work on the song craft as much as you know all the time and play as many shows as you could Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what was that dynamic like as far as the process of writing were were you kind of music or lyric or what was that relationship with your brother originally it was um i was the music and he was the um for the most part Mm -hmm. we each had a little hand in in each music and lyric but Mm -hmm. but for the most part in the beginning it was me with music and he with the lyrics and are you self-taught did you did you get take guitar lessons no i mean i guess my dad you know, just showed me some chords, and then I off and running, off and running. You know, <laughs> music books and listening, listening to albums, and right? Learning that way, right? And what was the instrumentation? And was that the Pistoleros that that first band? No, no, oh. no, no, no. That Pistoleros wasn't until well, it was originally called Chimeros, and that started in '92. So, um, so that was I don't know how many years. Uh, let me do the math. Uh, Take your time. <laughs> yeah, that was about ten years after we oh. we had started okay. writing songs. Mm-hmm. So we were writing songs for about ten years, bef- but we had a couple bands prior to '92. Okay, from like '87. Yeah, for an, uh, five years prior to that. Wow. So, can you talk about how the scene in Tempe evolved, kind of in that in that span of time? Well, it was, um, it was, there weren't very many original bands. It was blues bands, you know, and, 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 but there was a whole scene, you know, when I was in, in, um, grade school that was going on, you know, blues and, and jazz and all that, that I wasn't privy to, Mm -hmm. but the rock and roll thing, um, started happening and it really had to start with bands like um gentlemen after dark i think they were called something before that but you know in the in the mid to late 80s is mm-hmm. when 
and then the gin blossoms really broke it open for everybody right around 89 mm-hmm. what do you think what do you think it was about about that band and that sound that that had that effect that had that impact um for me it, it it felt like they were listening to the same music i was listening to growing up and then they just brought that to life in a in a, a you know in their own way with their own take on it mm-hmm. and that bands were able to play original music and cover music five nights a week in a college town right. um you know this obviously this was pre other distractions right you know sure so um it was pre-vhs you know what right I mean? right so um maybe not but you know <laughs> right. it, it, no, yeah. but but it was pre just other distractions so so <clears throat> people really invested in supporting uh, live music yeah. live original music yeah uh i've obviously heard of of long wongs and some of the and some of the kind of classic um, Mill Avenue music venues. C- can you remember some of the divier, like off, maybe off the main path kind of clubs where you could really kind of get your shit together, you know, um, musically and otherwise? Well, for us, Long Wongs was that. Yeah. Where we could get our shit together. Yeah. Where we could, uh, we had a band house just a few blocks away from there. And we would play. Sunday nights or Tuesday, not not Tuesdays, but Sunday nights or various nights, and we would be able to write a song in the afternoon and go, and go down and try it out. Wow! And and I mean that was really our our home base, but we played all the others. You know, there was lesser known ones, but as equally important, like Tony's New Yorker. Um, Yucca eventually, mm-hmm. Nita's Hideaway, mm-hmm. Edsel's Attic, of course, right. a Balboa Cafe. Um, and then there were other ones in Phoenix that, you know, were flashes in the pan, but we played there because right. they would have us. And, and it really is kind of staggering to think how many, for such a small little college town, how many live music venues there were. Right. I grew up in a town similar and I think there was one or two, maybe, mm-hmm. that, that did live music at that time. Yeah. Um, I wonder. I just wonder what was in the water. Like what? Well, what I think it? I think it being a college town mm-hmm. for one, mm-hmm. and um, and it it had already been, you know, like the those venues, uh, uh, particularly Long Longs and Etzel's Attic, they had, you know. They didn't have necessarily rock bands or or pop rock bands, I should Mm -hmm. say. They might have had like heavy metal bands and blues bands and bands like that. But the the, what Tempe became known for that was new. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it really is being so close to the to the to the college, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, because kids want to you know go out, right? Drink and have fun. But the fact that it was original too is is kind of mind blowing, right? You weren't going to see a cover band necessarily. No, I, I would, incur- but but, right. but 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 yeah, I, it was it was definitely, you know, I really watched what those guys were doing, meaning um, the Gin Blossoms and 
uh, and my brother and I, even before we knew who the Jim Blossoms were, right. were already on that track of we want to write our we want to write our songs, we want to perform them, we want to record them, yeah, and we want to get a record deal. How would you describe that that music and and I'm you know just listening to your latest release, I was hearing a bunch of different influences. Is there an easy way to describe or or put you know as best you can put a genre or a, a descriptor to that that sound the sound of mill avenue is is that even possible well i just think it's sped up folk music <laughs> with 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 cymbals and drums <laughs> Well, it's it's really at one ten BPM. <laughs> at one forty five. One forty five. So it's really not very sophisticated. Right. You know, it's not. But you you know, just again as an outsider looking in and listening, there there is there is some sort of like deserty wasteland vibes from the music. And and I feel like it it's a little bit of country, it's it's rock and roll, but then there's this other thing and I don't and I don't know how to describe it. Well, I think it's pop, folk, country, and and a little bit of rock all rolled into one. But mm-hmm. I, I think it, you know, and I, so we grew up like, and I and I keep referencing the Gin Blossoms. But one of the reasons I, I do is because um, one of the founders is extremely close friends of mine, and we we write Jesse Valenzuela, mm-hmm. and we write together. We talk about music um i believe we're in the process of uh getting him to produce my next record so we come from the same and and we grew up our families grew up a block from each other no kidding so um so when he and i talk about it and analyze this stuff um our take on it is there was you know there was only a couple radio stations and it was like a couple rock radio stations and a country station hmm. and that was yeah, other than records you know that's where you're getting your music right, right. and and so i think that's why um there's that uh, con- country element mm-hmm. and then there's the rock i got element you. because we were fed that and, diet and everyone is eating the same shit basically yes. right i mean yeah you know that's interesting so I guess I guess you know when you when you put it like that I you think of the radio stations that that, that I had growing up and it was rock and roll that <clears throat> that was kind of it you know but if I I I'd be curious if I had a country station a would I even enjoy it I right. mean and b how how would it have affected my songwriting right you know um well the country music that was being played then you know, is different than it is now. Sure. So, sure. Um, so I think this is even pre George Strait. You know, we're talking the seventies. Uh-huh. So I can't rattle off any of the artists. I don't know if they were playing Willie Nelson at the time, but cause he was outlaw or whatever, right. but whatever they were playing, we, it, it fed us. Right. You know, and, and, um, and like I said, my dad was listening to all of that. my, and my brother was listening to the rock and roll, and so it all. Yeah. And and so, same with, <clears throat> same with all the guys and and blossoms and certain bands that helped, you know, develop this music. So this style of music, mm-hmm. 
or forward this style of means they, we, we didn't invent it but just mm-hmm. you know push it forward pushed it forward um so we're all grew up here right so we're all listening to the same thing right and and i think that's why we were all so attracted to each other and became friends is because we had some commonalities right. musically right and then we happened to like each other as people right right so what happens to that to that band the chimeras well before that it was a band called live nudes hmm. and so that's really was our our was was the band that got us um uh, any attention, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> prior to that, we played in a band called Shades, but it was short lived, but it was, it was informative and it was definitely helped us develop because that's, we started playing our original music with that one. Mm-hmm. And that band Shades eventually morphed into Live Nudes and Live Nudes was around for five years. And then in 92, we began Chimeras. So <clears throat> Nothing really happened with Chimeras. It's just we had to change the name, mm. and that's when that's when we became Pistoleros. Mm-hmm. And so, once we got we got signed under Chimeras, but there was another band that mm. had it. They got in touch with our record label, and mm. record labels like I see. Let's just change the name, mm-hmm. and so that's so it was really one band, Chimeras yeah. and Pistoleros. I got you. Yeah, looking back on that on that moment for you. It must have felt like, holy shit, we made it. We we got it. It did, but I knew that that was when the hard work started. Mm-hmm. You know, like just getting... It, it, and when I look back on it now, <clears throat> between, you know, <clears throat> between uh, being 19 and, wow. and 18 and writing songs to when we got signed, it was really a short period of time. Uh it was like I don't know six seven years. Yeah. Um, but we did a lot of writing and a lot of playing. Um, what was your question? Sorry. Well, just looking back on that on that moment, it you know you, you must have oh, felt yeah. like get, getting a record deal. I mean, that's what everyone was clamoring to do, and you get it. Yes, but then you realize that you know, um, you know, you're up against the big bands mm-hmm. the really big bands of that era which, and and what was that deal was it like a one record deal it was one with with options yeah. you know um mm-hmm. and then of course the president we got signed under got fired and then right. and it really you realize it's about office politics and um who gets behind which band mm-hmm. so if the president of the label is not a fan of your band uh or if Fellow A and R people are not a fan of your A and R's person's mm-hmm. bands, mm-hmm. so it's a little like office politics. Like, okay, you didn't support my band, so I'm not going to support your band. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a Tuesday morning meeting A and R, and so right. everybody's vying for attention for their band, <laughs> and so <laughs> it, right. it, you really have no control. And 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 I'm you know there. I'm sure there's millions of stories of bands that are that should have been big right had great we're signed even yeah we're right. signed we're, we're signed. on a label right, right. and but made a great record made a great, did everything they had to do but uh, got shelved but got shelved or, right. or they just didn't push it because right. the president was like well i like this band better and i'm right. gonna put resources into push into breaking this band right right and so it 
it's part, you know, yeah, it's talent, luck, but then it, then the whole other business side of it that you have no control over. You didn't invite me to the party on Friday. I'm not inviting you to my party on Friday. And, and yeah, and <laughs> That's what it sounds like that, you know, you know to, to and then sometimes, you know, what kind of um relationship your manager has with, mm. with the label. <clears throat> right. Is your manager an asshole and is he hard to deal with? Right. Is he or is or or so it's there's many many factors that it's not just get a deal right and you don't make it because you're not good right there's too many did did your life change kind of at all or, or was it kind of business as usual even after getting signed and did they put you on the road they put did us you... on the road yeah they, they i mean and they gave us a, you know they gave us money they gave us a salary so it changed i mean it wasn't you know right. life-changing money but but it was enough to pay pay bills and have some walking around money yeah and um i and so i hadn't worked before Mm -hmm. so it was just taking some pressure off of that right of of playing gigs and right living living hand to mouth because we we spent our days we didn't want jobs because we wanted to have time to write music right so do you remember that first tour at all? Um, yeah. So yes, I remember the the first tour, but also what we also did is a lot of fly dates mm. hmm. initially. So it wasn't a lot of uh, the first tour wasn't a tour per se, right? Because they would fly us out to radio stations that were playing our song, and we would play that radio station's concert, and mm-hmm. it'd be like us and Edwin McCain and. Right, right. Cowboy Mouth and various people that they were also playing right on that station. Huh. So it was uh, it, it was great. I mean, some of the you know some of the rock and roll bullet points are you know got checked off in in the sense that you know you show up you show up you fly into somewhere and then they have a limo waiting for you and then you get in the limo and you're your songs playing on the radio and they're doing contests for people to come and meet you and you do these meet and greets and these lunches and right and you know fly into san francisco and open for train you know it it was it was exciting as hell yeah yeah mm-hmm. and then coming home it must have felt like like i'm out there i'm doing it i i check me out yeah <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah it's very rewarding for some sure. sort of validation yeah yeah, years and years of hard work. Yeah, and I'm out there doing it now, motherfuckers. Yeah, you know, like this. <laughs> and when, um, and when you uh, show up somewhere, not your hometown, but or your hometown, and you play that song that's been playing on the radio, and the crowd goes crazy. Right. That's that's something you don't forget. That's got the, the first time. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh shit, this is really this is really <laughs> <It's> happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you have any like any moments stick out? I mean, I, you know, you, you mentioned flying to San Francisco to open for train, train based out of San Fran. Like any any particular venues or stages or shows that I mean, and this is early nineties. Uh, 90. no, the, no, this is 96, 97. 97. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, uh, no, because they. I mean, you know, I remember going to Miami and playing in front of thousands of people at some 
crazy rock club where everybody's doing cocaine <laughs> in the open. Um, yeah, so that was pretty, that was a lot of fun. Um, so just, just stuff like that. I mean, just being flown yeah. all over the country and, and yeah. being picked up and not having to drive. Not right. having, because because we, we, before that, we would book our own tours. Yeah. And we would be the ones driving. We'd be the ones checking into the hotel. We'd be all one in a, in a, in, or two rooms for six people, right, you know, right. all that. So right. this was like, you know, we have a tour manager. We don't have to drive. We don't yeah. have to check into the hotels. Right. You know, right. we're getting paid. You yeah. Know, so. And how long did that moment last for you? Um, probably a year tops because that's when. Well, I'll tell you exactly when it, when it, uh, when it uh, changed. Um, so, our A and R guy and our producer on Hollywood Records also signed and produced Fastball, and Fastball um, had a hit that didn't need promoting because it was just everybody across the country, not everybody, but. It was an undeniable. Un, they, was they, a, people were adding it to their playlists without Hollywood even asking them to. Yeah. So we're in College Station, Texas. It's a Tuesday, and we're with the um, radio rep that works for Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Forget her name, but God bless her because we're hanging out all day, um, you know, just going to lunch and. And going to sound check and just she's in the van with us and we're just all having a good time. And so this is our second or third single. And it's the Tuesday meeting to find out, okay, which which uh, song, you know, are Mm -hmm. they going to are they going to push this song to Mm -hmm. radio and Mm -hmm. and how hard are they going to push it? Um, But it just so happened that I don't know that day or with. Something happened that day that this fastball song hmm. came to light, hmm. and I felt so bad for her because she had to go into the. She went to the meeting, and we we're all like, just ecstatic. We, yeah. went, we were like, "What's going to happen? What's going to happen?" You know, she comes out of. The, she has to come out of the meeting and tell us. We didn't even talk about you guys. You know, this fastball song is blowing up and they're putting everything into the fastball song and we have to play a show that night yeah 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 and like nothing ever happened yeah (laughs) and it was a good show it was a you know college station so a bunch of college kids and we're still being played on the radio so it's it's you know but definitely Mm. you know took the wind out of our sails uh, that day and subsequently because right because the label had never had a hit like that, and they mm-hmm. uh, and they treated it well because it became a hit, and I right. think it won a Grammy or something. But, Holy shit! But um, it was a huge hit, yeah, for them, and it was their first one. Uh huh. So they they're like, all right, yeah, it's a rite of passage almost <laughs> to get. I don't know. I'll let y'all have that <laughs> to, to get to get dropped and be disappointed in your label. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So what do you do? I mean, you know, how do you pick up the pieces after that? What, oh, you what's know, your mentality? Well, after after we realized that the label was not going to do anything with us anymore, um, 
we we the, again the the, uh, the day we got the call that it's it's over huh. we had to play a show that night yeah. and it was a hometown show it was well attended it was yeah. packed and i remember thinking to myself and telling the guys is like you know well they can't take the band away from us right right they can't make us break up right so um, yeah, this sucks, and but they let's can't. Go. Yeah, yeah right, they can't. Right. We we we're not going to break up. Right. So let's. We're just, still a fucking band. We're let's still, just be a band. Yeah. So you know. so then we made another record, you know, yeah. and um, and um, you know, and and we the next the next phase was we were being courted by Electra, and they. You know, they took us out to Los Angeles and set us up with some hotshot producer of the day, and we recorded, um, I don't know, three songs or, or something in some nice studio. And we're, um, you know, we're talking back and forth, and we're actually making plans to go to um, New York and um, and audition for. Well, we already had the A and R guy on our side. Then now we had to get his boss and go perform for him. Huh. Um, and nine uh, eleven happened. Huh. It was, and we were supposed to go huh. like within a couple weeks later. Uh. And so obviously everybody in New York was shell shocked. Yeah. Um, and flying was really yeah. big question yep. mark. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it just and and I think we, you know, how do we? These people just went through a very traumatic experience. How do? When is it too soon to like? Hey, by the way, yeah. remember us? Yeah. Uh, just following up. Uh, yeah. Hope everyone's okay. Yeah. Hope you didn't lose any friends. But re- we really want to make this record. Yeah. And, yeah. So how do you tactfully do that? And so it just time passed, and and well, everybody was fucking freaked out. Yeah. And so we just um, it that just kind of went by the wayside, mm. and um, then the. Uh, and we were still playing around. We were still doing our thing. But then there was a hiatus for about seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah. My brother went off the deep end with drugs and alcohol. And, and so because of that, I stopped booking the band. Uh, so Because how do you... I mean, unreliable, like that that sort of shit. Like you didn't know if he was going to be there. Yeah, or how fucked up he would be. So Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't... You know, you can we can talk about this or not. But do you think that that going off the deep end was a result of, of some of this? Um, I can't, cause he had, he'd had problems prior, to, okay. you know, so he, he got sober mm. and we got the record deal and he was sober through the record deal, mm-hmm. but he was fucked up, really fucked up before we got the record deal. And mm. that was always a challenge with gotcha. him. So, um, so I can't say whether it was bound to happen or that was the cause. I see. Yeah, but it was a constant battle for, for from a young age. 
I I mean I have two older brothers and let's just say even we you know and and the age is pretty vast it's six years to my next brother and then ten years to my oldest brother right so we didn't you know as kids they wanted nothing to do with me I didn't really <laughs> want anything to do with them they're right. just different you know zones I can't imagine writing with a sibling mm-hmm. you know. Uh, let alone you know being a part of a professional organization together but then that that intimacy of writing with someone and sharing that that you know most true self right yeah when you when you write a song and and you're performing music it's it's your truest expression Mm -hmm. a, a lot of time yeah how was that? I mean, t- t- I mean, was it really gratifying to have that connection oh, with him? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. We were of one mind when it mm. came to music. Holy and, shit! And that must and be writing. incredible. Yeah, it, it, it really does because, but, <clears throat> but we were, uh, we started playing together at a very young age. So, it's almost the first thing you remember from. Yeah. You know, so, so it was. It wasn't like one day we just went. Oh. Right. You know, let's try this. It was just a natural progression. Wow. From being from day one, from from <laughs> from me being from when I was about 13 yeah. that we, you know, because we were both playing with my my dad on these various mariachi gigs. Hmm. Um, and That's awesome. and so then eventually we he and I kind of broke off, you know, and. And just realized that we, well, we like the same music. I mean, right. He was three years older than me, so I, you know, so I was listening to what he was bringing home, right, as well as what my oldest brother was bringing home, right. So we, yeah, it was very natural progression mm-hmm. to just start. And he was, he was a, a writer. I mean, he was an aspiring <clears throat> poet, but really a lyricist. Mm-hmm. So, and I was. I was more into the guitar than he was, but he still played guitar and wrote songs on the guitar. Mm-hmm. But it was an it was a good fit because I was more adept at the guitar and he was more adept at words in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then that, then I started. He started writing full songs, and I started writing full songs, and then we would collaborate on them and mm-hmm. finish them together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so what did you do? During this hiatus, how did you stay I was, creative? I, I, was, I was making records and playing yeah. with my um, my side band called Los Guys. Yeah. And we were playing and, and doing uh, acoustic gigs. I mean, I was busy. I was, you know, playing <laughs> sometimes three gigs a day and oh my God. still writing. And, and, you know, I just was like, I'm making my own record. And, yeah. And I made a couple of them. Yeah. And um, so I just kept doing what I do. Right. Yeah. Right. How did, um, how did kind of the, the, the pandemic and the, and the big pause, how did that affect your creativity? Did you, did you notice that maybe you had more time to be creative or did you kind of have an, a negative reaction to it? Um, n- no, I, w- I wasn't happy there was a pandemic, but, um, I was grateful for the time off because I've yeah. been going, uh, and I only really had three months off, mm-hmm. but I took those three months off mm-hmm. because I've been going for 30 years, mm-hmm. just writing, playing, recording, and just being, uh, you know, taking care of a band. I pretty much managed the bands, yeah. took care of all the business and stuff mm-hmm. like that. 
Um, so I was like, I didn't pick up the guitar. You know, I was like, I'm fine. Just yeah. waiting this thing out. Of course I was freaked out, you right. know, because my living relies on people congregating in small places to listen to music. Right. So, um, I didn't know if that was going to happen. Right. And I, and of course at that stage in, you know, September of 20, um, we didn't know, you know, people, all the st- statistics of people dying. And, yeah. and so I was like, if I go to work, am I going to get this and die or, right. or, or am I responsible for getting people to congregate and then somebody gets it and right. they die, you know? Right. So, and there was no, you know, so it was just, uh, as we all went through that, mm-hmm. it was really for me, it was an existential crisis because mm-hmm. I didn't know whether my job in particular, I couldn't work from home. Right. So I didn't know how, if it would ever come back or, yeah. um, and so, but I was in the middle also at that time, I was just finishing up a music education degree. Oh, cool. So where'd you do that? Um, at Ottawa university. Okay. So I had that distraction as well. It was, it was a huge distraction because my mind was so uh, caught up with, am I going to have a job again? Right. But I still had to do, I mean, it was really the end of my program. So, and that kind of helped maybe held you accountable to this thing. It held me accountable and it, and it gave me something to take my mind off of what was going on. Right. So, um, and so, and then I still had to go, uh, then my brother died in December of 20 and I had to still go do my, my capstone program, my student teaching, which was, which was hybrid or uh, at first when I started student teaching, it was kid, the students were at home and mm-hmm. we were in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So as a student teacher and this being my end of my program, I was watching veteran teachers not knowing as freaked out as I was. Mm. And I was a novice. Right. You know? right. So it was really, really weird time. Yeah. You know. But you said you only took three months off. Yeah, because Arizona didn't shut down. I know. That's the crazy thing. And so by <laughs> September, I was back. back. And then during student teaching, I don't get paid. So I had to still play. So during student teaching... And playing, I was having like eighteen-hour days. Oh my god! Still playing four four nights a, a week. Wow! And and when you student teach, you take over the class, and the teacher is there just to observe you. Uh huh. So huh. it was a pretty stressful time. Yeah. But I made god. a record. Yeah. In that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so on top of all that, right, right, right. I was still recording the last record. Yeah. At, through the pandemic and then mixing it. Yeah. And then it came out in 21. Yeah. So there was a lot, Jesus, lot man. going on. You had a lot on your plate. It was a lot. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's take a short break, but I do, I do want to wrap about that record and, and maybe we can, we'll take a break. We'll listen to a tune and then we can just, we can rap about it. Okay. Okay. I built this wall around me brick by brick. It's made with love, tears and mud It's all I had to give Swam the seven oceans 
by myself Slipping beneath the surface, girl And now I drown in hell I couldn't hold you like I did before I couldn't let you behind these walls I adore But I'm praying, praying for a change That's a loser's game That's a loser's game I dig this grave forever Hoping deep enough To hide my fears, hopes and dreams And all that other stuff So on the break, uh, we listened to Loser's Game right. on the new record. Yes. First of all, sounds great. And Thank uh, you. you cut it at Fervor. I did. And who was on that, who was on that particular track? Uh, me. Um, sorry. It's all good. <laughs> um, me um, and another Fervor employee named DR. And uh, the engineer co-producer, Will Prinzi. Yeah. And I think Gary Smith on some percussion. Yep. Yep. I heard someone stirring the soup a little bit in there. Yeah. Very sparse. Yeah. <clears throat> but as I was just saying, like, that that melody is just, I feel like it's just this timeless, simple, sweet melody. Thank you. How did, I mean... I hate asking this question, but I always tend to like, how do you, how do you write? What do you have a, are you a cat that like wakes up in the morning? No. Right? Does it, or you just, uh, uh, yeah, it has to be a little bit more ethereal or you're channeling. Yeah. I mean, um, it could be late at night. Um, or all of a sudden, um, I have a melody and, mm. or something just is coming. And mm-hmm. so you pick up a guitar immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes even stuff from dreams. Mm, mm. Um, Man, I love it when that happens. Yeah, it's it's Whew. really great. Um, <laughs> like I didn't I didn't do anything. Uh, yeah, I just woke up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so yeah, I don't have one process, right. but but you know, there's times when I get together with somebody and we write a song. You just, do a lot of co-writing. Um, not a lot, but I do some. Yeah, yeah. and I'm I've. Obviously, I used to write with my brother the most, mm-hmm. so I'm used to co-writing. Mm-hmm. And so Jesse and I will get together in, every now and then. And so we, we Jesse and I have a song on a uh, track on this last record that we wrote together. Oh, cool! You know, just kind of like a not a job, but you know, just sure. Let's get together on Tuesday, and and then we actually came up with something. So. I love that. Yeah, I feel like co-writing is kind of its own skill, um, right? And and. If you don't love and trust that other person, it's really hard, right? Because yeah. you still have ownership of this thing. And it's like, well, I don't I don't know if you get it. Right. You know what I'm saying? So being open to that, I feel like, is something that I certainly need to work on. Right. But it is so valuable when you find that person. Well, this last record, I didn't know Will, the, the engineer, co-producer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and he worked for fervor. So they're like, well, mm-hmm. we're going to get you guys together. And mm-hmm. so we had to write without knowing each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was, uh, frustrating at times because not only because sometimes we get together and nothing would come. Right. Nothing We'd spend happens. three hours and nothing, yeah. you know, just, and so huh. that's the downside, mm-hmm. but we kept at it. Mm-hmm. And so, and he brought in some stuff that I helped finish, and then I brought in stuff that he that he helped finish or or put together. So it was definitely a collaborative, you know. That's awesome um, situation. And so the that 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 Zubia record was um, that was an, an, an intentional, I guess, in a way. Like th- this is this is forever saying, let's put you guys together. Let's let's make a record. Right. You didn't necessarily have these tunes finished, or no, um, a couple. I did have a couple of them, but but mm-hmm. then like, I think it's like pretty much half and half. I think mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Or like two were finished, and then four were brand new. Got you. And so, um, um, so. Yeah, they brought us together. I didn't have a band. Uh, mm. You know, I was not in Pistoleros. Um, so I was just, it was my, you know, mm-hmm. it was my second solo record, but first, like, real. Gotcha. I'm now a solo artist. Gotcha. Type, type thing with no attachments to anything else. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the belt buckle. Um, the belt buckle is um, my my dad's brother, my uncle, um, got that made up in the Navajo Nation in the early 70s. Mm. And he gave it to my dad. Mm-hmm. And so there's only one of them in the world. That's super cool. And um, I'm a fan of turquoise and it, silver, and that, yeah, that's, a, that's pretty hip, bro. It's kind of the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. And, and it has, I mean, it's, that's, it says, has our last name on it. Yeah. So it's very, you know, it's a family heirloom, really. Yeah. You know, but yeah. that my dad gave it to me, and wow, it became a. And my dad gave it to me, I don't know, two or three decades ago, and mm-hmm. here it is now, a piece of album artwork. Is I'm mm-hmm. pretty happy about that. Does your family have a long history here? I mean, uh, my parents are from Arizona, and their parents are from Mexico. So, do yeah. you know anything about the last name, like the heritage of of Zubia? It's both Arabic and and Spanish. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know how we ended up with it, but it huh. it, it, it has a derivation from both. Huh. So, can we talk about uh, death, drugs, and rock and roll? Um, a little bit. Yeah. Well, let me tell you this. Um, uh, all I did was a couple. Um, I had no creative control over it. All I did was a couple of uh, interviews. interviews. Yeah. Um, and what it started as, uh, so it was my brother's deal. Um, and uh, he, they approached him because they wanted to do, it was a, originally called Phoenix, Rising from the Ashes, because he because of his drug abuse and suicide attempts and those sorts of things that come with those sorts of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and then he cleaned up and he, and he um, raised two of his three ki- kids alone. He co-parented his third, his youngest. And um, 
and so it was supposed to be about it was supposed to be that story hmm. um hmm. in the middle of the story he fires me from he and i have a falling out and he fires me from pistol arrows for reasons that are still unknown to me hmm. and i uh, and will be because I can't ask him. Mm. Um, so they had already been in the middle of of filming it and do. And he's obviously all over it. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's done. He did several interviews for it. Um, so um, it turned into a story. It's a history of the band and history of his drug abuse and history of mine and his relationship and. Um, that's about all I'll say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, because I didn't have any creative control over it and it didn't start, uh, it didn't end how it started. Mm-hmm. So they had to, they had to shift gears and, and, mm-hmm. um, try to, you know, salvage it basically. Would, would you have changed anything about it? Yes, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm not yeah. going to say what. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is. I, I watched it the other night. It it is very interesting uh, to 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 be able to get some background into your brother. I I never met him, but but um, you know another name uh, that that I was familiar with without having ever met him. He you know it was just you guys have been such a big part of this scene. And have been gigging in town for decades, and and you know, um, so anyway, it was nice to get a little bit of knowledge right. about you and your relationship with him, and him, and the history of the band, and and that early Tempe scene, and right. and I mean, it's it's educational, um, but I would imagine that not having any control over something that is so personal would be hard. Yeah, I. You know, it's one thing to be in a band and promote a band and all that. It's another thing to have your family story mm. and your personal story um, out there. Even though I did participate, um, I thought it was going to be something different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's uh, What's next for you, Mark? Um, well, I have uh, six songs ready to record so um start a new ep um with fervor Mm -hmm. and so right now we're in the process of uh planning um i guess post uh Mm pre-production you know Mm -hmm. we're thinking about how we want to approach it what we want it to sound like Mm -hmm. um who we want to play on it Mm -hmm. um that's I'm, fun though. Yeah, I love that moment. Yeah, yeah. and I and I'm I'm thinking Jesse Valenzuela will be talking to them this week and seeing if we're all on the same page artistically and mm-hmm. production wise to see if um, that's a good fit, which I think it is because Jesse understands what I've done and what I do and what I need to do differently. Hmm. Hmm. So. Hmm. So you're you're thinking something kind of less traditional, Mark Zubia, if you could even say that. Yeah, that's where that that, that that's the, the conversations. That, yeah, those are the conversations we're having. Yeah, and and is, so, it, is that exciting or is oh, it nerve wracking? No, it's uh, it, it's exciting. For everything, yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Um, uh, and um, Dave Hilker, the president of Fervor Records, is 
um, more hands-on on this one than he's been in the past. I mean, he's let us just kind of mm -hmm. do our thing, and he, he's never said, do that over. He's never mm -hmm. said, I don't like it. He just lets us do our thing, and That's he's been cool. happy with it. But I'm really happy that he's going to um, be a creative force mm -hmm. on this one. Cool. Because um, I'm used to having a team. Right. Or, you know, a collaborator. Right. So it's nice to have, you know, Jesse, who I've, you know, we're great friends. Yeah. He's like a brother to me, and we've known each other for years. And, and a great player. And right. a great player. So and songwriter. Yeah. So, um, so I'm really excited about having Jesse and Dave be on my team mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. be on their team, whatever it is. <laughs> however, you want to, however you want to frame it. Yeah. And you're busy, man. You're, you're, you're working and, yeah. and out there, you know. It's, <laughs> it's been a crazy <laughs> couple of years. Yeah. Some months I only have uh, three nights off a month. Oh, God. But what, the, but the, what is your trick? Because that would kill me, I think. Uh, well, the trick is that most, all, most of the gigs are only three three hours right right <laughs> so right. if i was doing it for eight hours a, a day it right. would be something different right but I, I i i don't know if there's a trick i just i just know that uh well i change keys if my voice is a little okay you know okay i'll, I'll sure. drop the key I'm, okay. I'm not ashamed to drop the key <laughs> If 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 my voice needs a little yeah. rest, you okay. know, so I'll transpose shit on the spot, yeah, just to make it easier for myself, yeah. Um, but it's just something I've done since I was thirteen years old, right? So, I it's just you know, it just happens. It's just that this yeah. is you, yeah, doing what you do. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. And in a moment, just just to wrap and and um. I, I really dig the new record and and I'm I you know you're just you're one of the guys that that a lot of singer songwriters me included look up to oh thank you because you've been doing it so long at a high level and Thanks. you continue to be creative you're not you know it's just it's inspiring to to chat with people about their process and and and, and to see that you can continue to do it year after year in a variety of settings right and so thank you uh for what you do and and i hope you know at some point we we get to uh, be creative uh together musically and uh best of luck more success in, in 2023 and yeah and if you're ever looking for another player on your uh oh yeah that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah let me know. Okay. Do you, you, you like that music? Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Well, we should definitely get together because I'm a, I'm a huge fan of all that stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, man. The, uh, we're talking about the live from Laurel Canyon. Yeah. yeah. Songs and stories of American folk rock that Brian does. <laughs> so that'd be fun to be a part of that. Somewhere. Yeah. Well, let's get together. I'll, I'll bring an acoustic over to your spot and we'll, we'll, we'll run some tunes down. Okay. <laughs> Good luck. Thanks, Mark. All right. Thank you.